I sure hope you all are having a wonderful Lord's Day morning, able to worship our God with uh, joyful hearts this morning. When I was about, I'm thinking I was around 12 years old, my older sister and I, Leslie, if you're hearing the sermon, yes, I'm talking about you, um, we got into some kind of a fight. If you know anything about my family, when we get into fights, it's not like our children today getting into fights. Our children, when they get into fights, they might get into a little tussle here and there, but it's mostly verbal and have you. When I was growing up, we sent each other to the hospital (laughs) on multiple occasions. So that's the kind of fights I'm talking about. Well, one of these were non-hospital related fights. And I remember very explicitly as a result of whatever argument fight that I'd been in with my older sister, I decided to hide something that she treasured. I don't remember what it was, but it it was such where I remember at that time my mom worked for Amway or did the Amway thing, and, and so she had all these products on these shelves, and I hid whatever it was my sister had behind one of these products. Well, a few minutes later, my mom comes to me and says, son, did you hide Leslie's thing? I said, oh, no, of course not. Well, my mom believed me because, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, right? So my sisters were the evil ones. I was the good child. At least that's my remembrance of childhood. And so my mom believed me, did not believe my sister, and I was in the clear. My sister, she had to go find the thing that I had taken and hid. She found it. As a result, I was known to be a liar. I had broken my mother's trust. And I remember that that hurt more than the fight I had been in with my sister. The fact that I had broken my mother's trust because I had gained it. And it was a wonderful thing to have. And so I'm leading off with that because in our life, we, we deal with choices in our lives, right? And, and with these choices, it's very important for us because sometimes we don't even realize that there is this domino effect. I went from fighting with my sister, bad choice, then to lying about it, and then having the consequences of those lies. And it seemed to snowball. I had another situation where I remember as, I think I was about nine or 10 years old. Mind you, I grew up with a Japanese culture mindset. And to shame your family is a big deal in Hawaii with Japanese parents or family members. Well, I was playing baseball I quit the baseball team at the beginning of the season. We were literally a week or two away from the regular season. And, and I remember I was a decent player at that time, but the reality was I quit. My grandparents said, you need to get back on that team because you never quit what you start. You can quit at the end of the season, but not the beginning. And I said, no way, I, I'm done, I'm done. Well, I had to pay the consequences. Six months complete silence from grandma and grandpa because I shamed the family. These choices, they actually not only affect you, they affect everyone around you. And there is, in effect, a domino effect in how relationships evolve through our choices that we make, including our relationship with God. And so what we're looking at then are these choices and looking at it from the end game. Imagine like when you're setting up dominoes. 
it takes, you start from the very beginning, you've got this whole intricate pattern, unless you're like the typical person where you just do a few and make whatever you, on the fly. But you see the end from the beginning as you've master planned whatever you're making. And then you press your, your thing, your first domino, and all of a sudden you get to see that wonderful fruition of your work. Well, when we look at this end game from a Christian, from a believer's standpoint, our end game is fellowship with God for eternity, right? Isn't that what brought us to this room? The fact that we believe that Jesus is the Christ and that God promised that through the saving grace of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, we would have his promise met by virtue of us being together for an eternity. That's the promise. And so we see that in the book of Revelation. In fact, I want us to be reminded of the words from John as he wrote these promising words. Let that sink in for us before we get on to the rest of the sermon. Go to Revelation 21. It's a passage that's been read many times. But boy, it just doesn't get old. Read the first few verses with me in Revelation 21. John has this vision, right? And in this vision, he now says, as his letter is coming to a close... I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven or out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here's this vision of this new place to live and this Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem coming out from God, from heaven, coming down to earth. And now look at what he says in verse three. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. In other words, God's dwelling is now with men in this new abode we call this new heaven and new earth. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Can you imagine that picture of what he's saying? He goes on, he says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain and water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. It just doesn't get old reading this. That's the promise that is entwined in what we call the gospel, the good news. It's what gives hope to someone who lives life and life under the sun is, is horrific. And, and what do I want to continue living for? It even gives hope if we can distinguish between what we have here under the sun with what God is promising us. It is such a contrast that even if you live a good life here on earth, there is no comparison with the promise that God has give, given to us. And so, here's this eternal life with all the fringe benefits, right? Everything that makes an amazing life 
for all eternity with our creator. That's the picture of the promise that was given. And so we then, when we look at this, you know, lifestyle, we sometimes forget that. Or it seems so far off because it's in eternity and we're living, we're living in the here and now that we forget that. And what we're trying to do, and this is part of our discussion in our class in Ecclesiastes, is we try to do everything to live life to its fullest, if I can use that phrase, here and now, right? We want to look young. So as ladies, we put on all the makeup and we keep looking young. We dye our hair and we look really, really good while the men are getting old, right? Because we don't cover everything up like the women because we want to look young. But the men, now not all guys do this because it takes more work as we get older, but we keep working out. We keep exercising, do whatever we can to keep looking young. And maybe we start dyeing our hair too. Whatever the situation is, we got creams, lotions, we've got medicines, we've got operations, cosmetic operations, everything to keep looking young and trying to live young. We all want that fountain of youth. And we go far and wide for these things. We're willing to spend money for it. When we get back to reality, while these things are not wrong to, to have and to want, we come back to the promise. And John tells us twice of this eternal promise. In fact, I want to read these passages because John, as he had this vision in Revelation, he says similar words in different ways in 1 John as well as in John chapter 3. And sometimes we're so focused on John 3 verse 16, there's some surrounding words that are every bit as powerful that need to be understood and reminding us of the promise that God has given to us. So in John, or 1 John chapter 2, look at what he says in verse 25. 1 John chapter 2, let me back up to verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. So here's this gospel message from the very beginning. This is the truth that you heard. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he promised us eternal life to promise and for all that goes on here on earth with things not going the way we want it to go what have you this is rock solid this promise and this is what you heard from the very beginning so remember we're looking at the end game here but we have to start from the beginning the beginning starts with this promise that's what allows mitch davis to walk as a child of god it is my selfish but truthful conclusion that if I did not have some kind of a motivating factor for me, like eternal life, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't live the life that I live. I would live much more selfishly. I freely admit that. Now, maybe you might not admit it. I'm admitting it. Because even the Apostle Paul said, and I think we brought it out in our class, we may as well eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow we die. So if, if all that life is is here under the sun and we have nothing beyond it, no promise of everlasting life, then we're wasting our time right here when we could have been out doing whatever we want to do, whether it's sleep or go play, right? Because that's what the weekend is for for so many in the world. So 
We look at life and we see these things until we have this promise. And this promise gives us this perspective. And this is from the very beginning. And so John does that. We go back to the very beginning where we see the gospel through Jesus. And here is this conversation he has with Nicodemus about this promise. So John 3, look at what he says in verse 14. As he's in the midst of speaking to Nicodemus, he says, just as Moses Uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up okay that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's an amazing statement this picture of this serpent and it's lifted up and Jesus being lifted up this idea of of Life after death, if you will. The resurrection. The promise of eternal life. That's what he's saying. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So, we get reminded of this, and that gives us a sense of priority, gives us a sense of direction, a clarity in our daily lives. So that we know. That's the end game. That's what we have. And the reality is that while we, we look at this end game, we go back to the beginning and we see, you know, here's what our walk is supposed to look like. I remember, I'm not going to say names now because this is not a good situation, but I remember a particular brother in Christ Raised with Christian parents, but we were roommates. And, and I remember him explicitly saying to me, Mitch, you know, you lived your life before Jesus and you did all your things. And, and so now you live your life. I've only lived with parents telling me how I'm supposed to live. I want to go do what I want to do. I want to sow my wild oats. That was his words to me. And so he lived a life of fornication he lived a life of immorality and it pained me watching him making these choices because as he was making these choices i could just see him getting further and further away from god our beginning is such where we have been by the grace of god raised to walk in newness of life that's what paul is saying in romans 6 verse 4 right said, remember you had been baptized you you actually put to death that man of sin And now you're free from sin. You have become slaves to righteousness. Walk righteously. That's what he's saying. Oftentimes we are too short-sighted though. Instead of being heavenly-sighted, we live here, we live on earth, and I'm guilty of this. As I'm preaching here, I've been guilty of being short-sighted and give in to sin. So when we look at these situations here, the reality is we can see that far off inheritance but because we're so short-sighted we want the pleasures right now and the pleasures may be contrary to God so we call them sin that we foolishly go headlong into sin that's what we and we forget then the promise that was supposed to give us a direction that would be pleasing not only to him but good for us to live the, the genuine good life that God wants us to have. Well, that brings us 
to that passage that was read for us, right? So Jake was reading in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son, and we're going to use that, that situation of his life to show what happens, this domino effect of what happens in our life. And then we're going to look at something miraculous, if you will, that is in this story that is good for us to re be reminded, to remember, if you will. So if we go to Luke chapter 15, I want you to go back to the text here, and we're not going to reread the whole thing because it was already read for us, but I want you to note the pattern, if you will. When you start making bad choices, what happens to you? And remember, um, for those of us in our Bible study in Ecclesiastes this morning, we were looking at this concept that we're going to delve more into, particularly when we get into the book of Job. It's called just recompense, right? And so we're going to see just recompense playing out. And then we're going to see the miracle after that. So in Luke chapter 15, remember, here's the, the, the promise, if I can use it this way. It's, it's kind of subtle in the storyline. But the promise is, if, if, when, if and when I die, you get all my inheritance, right? The firstborn gets half, the rest of the children get the other half. In this case, he's got two sons, so half and half. And so with this then, the son has this inheritance that he knows he can have afar off. But instead of that inheritance afar off, he wants it now, right? And without getting into the Jewish culture, the bottom line is somehow he gets the father's inheritance. So as we go through this, look at the choices that he is making. Number one... He wants his inheritance now. Number two, he takes an inheritance and he goes away. He's far from his father. So there's this metaphor that we can get imaged into our minds. He goes and lives this quote-unquote prodigal life. It's a life of immorality. And as time is going on, he's wasting away his inheritance. But he's fulfilling his fleshly pleasures. Until the day comes when the inheritance runs out. And now he's stuck. Now life is hard. And that's the whole point for us to see when we're looking at life that way. When we're without God, we start making our choices. And at some point, we come to a realization, I don't have anything. And life seems meaningless. Life seems futile. I mean, that's the picture that he has here when he says that he is even desiring to eat food that not even the hogs would even eat. I mean, these unclean animals, this of all unclean animals, I want to eat their food. And he finally comes to his senses, and therein lies a good thing for us, right? Where we can actually come to our senses going, okay, let me do a reality check here. What I thought I wanted in life, and now what I really want in life. And what he really wanted in his life was just to be close to his father again. Now, mind you, some of us from a selfish standpoint saying, yeah, because his dad has food. <laughs> his dad has shelter. His dad has clothing. But that's what God wanted from the beginning. Our father wants us to have all these things. Not from a materialistic, fleshly vantage point, mind you. I, I, but from the standpoint of living life here, and so here's this picture in the story that he says, his servants have all these things that I used to have. 
And so he comes to his senses, and he starts making choices. He said, here's what I'm going to do. Because I want to be in my father's good grace, I'm going to apologize to him. So you see the choices that he's making when he goes headlong into his prodigal life and the reality of it. Right? So, again, you reap what you've sown. That's the picture that is given here. And here he is, he's coming back to his senses, and he's willing to be a servant rather than a son. Of course, in his mind, he's not deserving to even be a son. He wasted away his father's inheritance. Father's alive for it. To see this, how embarrassing. But he's willing to go back with great humility to honor his father and to be under his stead care. And so he starts making these choices. And with those choices comes this miraculous event. See, now, many fathers, we like to be just. And so we see our son coming back after having spent money on ungodly activity. We would want to say, see, told you, son. Right? Isn't that what some parents like to do? Some parents may even get joy, kind of a sick joy, but a joy out of telling their children, now you're going to listen to me? You deserve it. You deserve everything that happened to you. You made your choice. You made your bed. Now go sleep in it, right? That's not our father here in this picture. The picture is that instead of receiving what was due him, his father sees his son that he wants to have back because he loves his son. And he has his servants to get the fatted calf to throw a huge celebration because his son has returned. And I think if any of us have any sense of compassion that have had any of our children to leave us, we could relate. In fact, this is a mindset that I believe God wants us as Christians to have with those who would be restored to our father and back in the household. Unfortunately, the story goes on, right, in this Luke chapter 15, and we've got the older brother, and he's not very happy, and that's for another sermon for us. But the point that I want us to see is that when we look at the life of any individual, we could have looked at the life of Samson. We could look at the life of Solomon. We could look at the life of David. We could see all these choices and how it led to wherever their situation led to. And we can see that. All we have to do is look at our own lives. Look at the choices we made that brought us, whether it's into debt, that brought us into hunger, that bring us into a joyous life a joyous uh, relationship, one that has been destroyed. And you'll see a domino effect in those relationships. When we look at this domino effect, it's always good for us to kind of take that step back and look at that big picture once more and see that promise that had never changed from the very beginning. Just like in this passage of Luke chapter 15, the promise that, hey, son, all this has always been yours. It always has been. In Hebrews chapter 10, regarding this concept of faith that helps us to do and make choices, here's what the writer says. 
He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. And that confidence was in the promise of God, mind you. So he's going to get back to that. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That's who we are. That's who we ought to be, right? Every one of us in this room, except our children who may not yet understand this concept, we made a choice to walk with the Lord. And after we've made that choice, there's no doubt sometimes we forget to set our eyes on the prize. And we get taken in, like David did, right? Or like Solomon, or like Adam, or like many other people in Scripture that we can read of. But if we keep our eye on the prize, we'll not forget that that promise was eternal life. And that should give us a nice check to say, hey, how am I living my life? Am I living it just because I forget about God and his presence in my walk? Or is it constantly in light of that promise that allows you to make choices that seemingly would be crazy to the world? Right? Like, to the world, you're wasting your time here. I mean, you had these three hours, you could have slipped in, you could have been watching, I don't know, I don't know what goes on there this time. <laughs> you could have been watching all kinds of stuff on TV, I guess. In Hawaii, it was in the morning, we'd watch the NFL because, I mean, five hour, six hour difference, right? Time change. And so I remember doing that before I was a Christian uh, or going out to go to the beach or whatever it was. We're making choices about coming together to have fellowship with each other, to have fellowship with our God who gave us a promise. And somehow these songs go from shallow and hollow words to full of meaning. That's whether we are professional singers or we cannot hold a tune, it's beautiful to our ears because of our love for the one who gave us his promise. And it's beautiful to him when we sing with those kinds of hearts, when we pray with an intentionally genuine heart together, lifting up our voice to him. That's what we have. Because we've got this this long, heavenly-sided view that causes us to make choices. And that's not just here, right? Now we take this and go into our daily living because that's really where the walk is, is meted out, not just here in this building. And then in our day-to-day -day choices, we share the love of Christ with our neighbors. We share the love of Christ with strangers. We share the love of Christ with our enemies. And little by little, the world gets to see the promise that God has promised us in their lives. And some of them want that promise. And some of them are willing to turn away from all that is futile of this world, this temporary vapor of life. And they can see that promise that is rock solid and how it can be given to them. That's what happens when we keep our on the prize. The ultimate decision, as Ted was leading us in song and saying about this decision, 
comes with this in mind, right? No matter how good your decisions are without Jesus Christ, your end is still separation from him. In other words, I use it this way. You take a, take a believer who lives his life for the Lord, but may be guilty of sin from time to time, because that's not his desire in life, but he ends up sinning. And you take an unbeliever who is more morally upright, which person has the promise? Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go out and sin because you have God's promise. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is without God, no matter how morally upright you are, you do not have that promise. God makes that ultimately clear. Here's the flip side. With Jesus as your Savior, we are told explicitly in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, right? Nothing can. He died because you're a sinner, and he knows that even in Christ, you may still sin like Peter did as a Christian. And yet nothing will separate you from God because you have that promise that you hold on to and because of it you believe in your God who gives you this promise through the blood of Jesus. See, to me, that's why the good news is so good. I think sometimes as Christians, we send a wrong gospel message. We send a message that it's like, okay, now that you're Christian, you gotta be perfect. Well, you wanna strive to live a perfect life, but whoever has, right? Anyone willing to raise their hand? You live perfectly since being a Christian? Anybody, seriously, right now, do it. I won't see it. I didn't think so, and I would have challenged you, by the way. <laughs> I would have done it with love and respect, but I would have challenged you. We're not perfect. We're human beings. We live in the flesh. We have the struggles of the flesh. But we love God, and we're trying to live for the glory of God, and we want the world those who do not have this promise to have it. At least I know I do. I'd like to think that you do as well, right? And so we get to share Jesus in our daily living with those that do not have that promise. It makes the news, the good news so good because we're not trying to, to have this picture that we've got it all together once we become Christians. What we have is a promise of our God who mends us and makes us whole. So think about your life. Is it given to God for his glory? If it's not, it can be. You know that domino decision? You can start by going in the likeness of Jesus' death and in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection by going in and up out of that watery grave. You can do that. That's the first step, right, in this domino decision that you'd make, changing the course from that standpoint. But ultimately, you may stumble. the promise is still there and that's what gives you hope to go on living for the Lord and if you're here and you're subject to that that wonderful invitation of salvation you can have that brethren if you need our prayers uh, this morning in our Bible class we were talking about sometimes you know what do you do I think Don was asking about those who struggle with depression you know how does this all work together you know we don't have all the answers 
And we're not claiming to be clinical psychologists. I don't even think they have all the answers. I think that's why people continue to have clinical depression in the midst of all what we're trying to do. Here's the thing. You can still go to heaven with clinical depression. You can go to heaven with anxiety, acute anxiety. You can go to heaven having murdered someone. You can still go to heaven because God forgives all of our sins. But he wants you to have a new life, a new created life. And if after choosing to walk with him, you fall into any kind of life of immorality, you saw what he did with his son, right? In that prodigal son passage, he's there with open arms again. He wants you back. He will not shame you. He will receive you. And that's what we offer this morning as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.